0: Hey guys, Chris Algramson here with True Patriot Ministries. Welcome back to Episode 7 and Part 5 of Jesus. Now, we, we did have two episodes on John the Baptist, and then we stepped right into Jesus. What we're doing is we're walking. So this is a walk with Jesus. And right now we're walking through the Gospels. And I'm using several resources to help out with this. Uh, one of these is uh, my King James Version Bible. It's an Oral Roberts commentary built into it. I really enjoy that. And then I also have the Oral Roberts uh, New Testament Comes Alive three volume set, his commentary. I have uh, my MEV Bible, which is a Kenneth Copeland, excuse me, Kenneth Copeland Word of Faith Study Bible. And it has his commentary in there. And so those are the three resources I'm using the most of. And if I use any additional resources, I will post them with the notes on the blog page at TruePatriotMinistries.org. Uh, the homepage is a great place to go and get caught up on what is happening currently. And right now, until, uh, the, uh, until the first week of October, our focus is completely on the Prairie Fire Revival on that homepage page. Of our website. So if you want to know the latest, greatest, go to the homepage of the website and, and you will find it right there. And uh, again, that's truepatriotministries.org. And if you haven't heard about the Prairie Fire Revival yet, this revival is taking place the 28th of September through the 2nd of October, and that's going to be at the Leavenworth County Fairgrounds in Tonganoxie, Kansas. Uh, we are believing for. Glory to God. Believing for thousands of believers from across multiple states here in the Midwest to come together in one accord. And and our focus is to reignite. The body of Christ. And it's it's going to be an awesome time. We are really looking forward to it. Um, And honestly, that time of year, September into early October, beautiful weather. Uh, Maybe we'll be blessed enough that some of the colors are changing on the leaves and and you'll see just beautiful scenery here. So we're fired up and excited about that. God's blessing us left and right on this. We have people coming in um, from all over, but we also have such witnesses. When I talk to people or my wife speaks with somebody, we're, we're getting such witnesses about this revival and about people have been praying for years. And not just here in our community, but in communities all over Kansas, outside of ours, and then across multiple states. And so this is so exciting. Glory to God. When, when God put this on my heart, it, he was just looking for somebody to step up and step out. And... Uh, I just want to be willing and obedient. And so I'm moving forward with this and I'm I'm excited about it. And, and people are coming from everywhere to, uh, to help out and to pray, right? To pray over us, to pray over the revival, to pray over the facilities, all of that. Glory to God. They're even praying over seed sown. It's wonderful. We are are just having such a fun time bringing this together and I'm reaching out to the local ministries and and I'll be reaching out here in the next week to ministries all over the Midwest. And like I said, we're just fired up, excited. It's going to be a great time. Now, if you haven't been to the website, go to TruePatriotMinistries.org. Like I said, the homepage right now is focused on the revival. The blog page, that's where all the notes from the podcast and the videos go. And so if you miss a scripture or you miss something that I said, uh, you can go back and you can look at the notes. They're right there for you. Um, if you can figure out how to print them, that's fine. I don't know if you can download them or not. Not that tech savvy. I—I I, I Just getting them up is, is a blessing, okay? Get them out there on the website where you can get to them and use them. Uh, And then if you peruse the website, there is a contact page. You can go in there. You can connect with us, uh, send us an email. Let us know you're coming. Let us know you're coming. Guys, you're going to want – I've been watching Airbnb and VRBO um, in some of the hotels, and they're starting to uh, have reservations made, so the rooms are becoming fewer. And then on the Airbnbs and the VRBOs for sure – I've seen those drop really quick. Evidently, people prefer those over hotels right now, but you want to make your reservations. All right, so Lovemore, Kansas is 20 minutes away. Kansas City, Kansas, where the Legends uh, Mall is and where the, the NASCAR track is, that's 20 minutes away. Lawrence, Kansas is about 30 minutes away. And so those are some great places to pick up hotels. There's a KOA Camp Grand in Lawrence, Kansas. if you uh, If you have an RV and you want to camp, you can, you can do that by all means. And then just drive a short 30 minute drive and, and come in and, and be a part of the revival. So make those reservations, get them taken care of. If you need the airport code for the Kansas City Airport, uh, KCI, that is, uh, the letters, three letter code is MCI. And, uh, you know, guys, come on down. We, we are happy to have you. We are excited that you're coming. Like I said, reach out to us via the Connect page and and let us know. Where are you coming? Where are you coming from? We'd like to know what states everybody is coming from. I know right now, predominantly, we're hearing from the state of Kansas and a little bit from the state of Missouri, but we want to know where you're coming from, and we're excited to have you. Glory to God. It's Thousands across multiple states coming together in one accord, reigniting the body of Christ. I just and I so enjoy the way that sounds. Um, And just when you think about all those people coming together. okay, it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great time. So today's lesson is part five with Jesus here. And in his ministry, right? So our Bible text is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And it reads, In the beginning was the Word, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him, and without him nothing was created that was created. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not overcome it and john excuse me john 519 then jesus answered and said to them most assuredly i say to you the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do for whatever he does son the son also does in like manner and john 826 I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak the, I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. Now let me pray over you really quick and let's get into this. Father, I just ask you to, to, to bless each and every one of those that are listening or watching, Lord. Have mercy upon them, Lord. May your grace, your favor, your love rest upon them. And I ask you, Lord, to give them eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. Grant them wisdom and revelation into you, your word, and your way, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. We want you to expect to receive. Okay? Come with expectation. Come with expectation. Expectation. Set that standard and come in and be prepared to receive, not from me, okay, but from the scriptures. Receive from God on this. Receive. The Holy Spirit will witness with your spirit uh, and he will reveal things to you, okay? He's the teacher. Right now, I'm just the voice box. Now, so we left off with John in the last episode with John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Let me read these to you. And it reads, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but for this reason, I came baptizing with water so that he may be revealed to Israel. Then John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descending, glory to God, and remaining, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen And I have borne witness that he is the son of God. Now, that's where we left off in the last episode. Okay, so Jesus at this time, he's already baptized. This is uh, John talking about his witness about Jesus the next day. And then we're going to step right into Matthew. And let's go to Matthew chapter four, verses one through eleven. And we're going to look at Jesus being tempted. Okay, verse one. Then Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. And he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, command that these stones be turned into bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the, excuse me out of the mouth of God. Verse five, then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, again, if, 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 so this temptation, right? If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning you and in your hands shall they lift you up lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is also written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Glory to God. Verse 8, Again, the devil took him up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their grandeur and said to them, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Get away from here, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here, real quick. One thing I want to point out since we just went through this is in verse 8, where the devil says to Jesus, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. I want you to understand, in order for that to be a temptation, The devil had to have possession of those things. And so what we see is that because when Adam fell, the possessions that God gave Adam, Satan received because he fell. Okay, so the kingdoms, they at this time when Jesus is speaking to him, they belong to the devil. And that's why it could be a temptation to Satan. I mean, honestly, if somebody tells you, I'm going to give you a million dollars, it's not a temptation unless you see the million dollars. Um, And then you may be asking, okay, what do I need to do for it? And and herein comes temptation. But if you never see any money, there's really no temptation. Right. And so the kingdoms, he showed them to Jesus and, and tempted him with them. So. A couple of things here I want to touch on. The first is out of the Oral Roberts uh, commentary, the New Testament Comes Alive commentary. And Oral says here that Satan abuses Scripture. You see here the devil can also quote Scripture. The devil knows that Scripture quite well, but he usually quotes it inaccurately. The devil is referring here to a Scripture in Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, but he does not quote the Scripture accurately. He added three words at any time so that he, he made it to read, He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Lest at any time, those three words at any time are not in the original scripture. The scripture that said, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The devil makes it, lest you dash your foot, lest, excuse me, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. What the devil is trying to say is that you can just do whatever you want to do. You don't have to follow the precise plan of God. But Jesus then spoke to the devil. It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the the Lord thy God. And that's Matthew 4, 7. So what we see is that the devil, he tried to change the scripture is what Oral Roberts is saying here. He changed the scripture. He tried to change the meaning. We see a lot of this right now. Uh, There is so much changing in this world right now of definitions of this, that, and the other uh, to benefit what the devil wants to get in place. And we have to be... um, Oh, how do I want to say this? Glory to God. We want to be watching for this. Okay. We need to discern when there is a subtle difference that changes what something says. And it can be very subtle. Lest at any time. That's very subtle. Right. And the devil is good at this. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be watching for. We need to be expecting the devil to get in there and try to twist and turn and manipulate things because he's a master at it that's what he does he perverts the word of god and uh, and the things of god and so in verse 11 it says then the devil left him and immediately angels came and ministered to him now when i look at when i look at the the uh, king james version with the oral robert's commentary In this, it says that Christ knew these angels, for he had created them. But notice, they were not ministering to him as God, but to Jesus, the human being. When Jesus came to earth, he voluntarily put limitations upon himself. As long as he was in the flesh, he was tempted the same way that we are. He used the word of God, the same faith, the same grace of God, and relied upon the same angels to minister to him. Glory to God. So what he's saying is just like us, right? He set the, the, the model for us, and we need to pay attention to that. It's He goes on to say, he didn't use anything that is not available every moment to you and me today in our battle with the devil. We have the word, we have faith, we have God's grace, we have God's angels present to minister for us, and that's according to Hebrews one fourteen. Whether you ever see one or not, angels are ministering for you constantly. You are on the winning side. And that was his commentary on that. Now, I want to jump over to the uh, Kenneth Copeland Word of Faith Study Bible, because he's got a commentary here that I really like, too. And he says, since Lucifer, Satan or the devil, was created by God with the word, he is subject to it. Now, we don't stop and think about this sometimes, right? We think of this devil as an enemy, as an foe, whatever. But we need to stop and think about God, the creator, creating Lucifer, who exalted himself above God or tried to exalt himself above God and therefore was cast out of heaven and fell down and became Satan, the devil. But he began existence as a creation of God, the father. All right. And we need to remember that he he was created with the word, just like everything else God has created. God spoke word. The word went to work. And manifested. And that's what he's saying here. Right. And he's t- he's reminding us. Keith Copeland here in this commentary. He was created by God with the word. He is subject to the word. It goes on to say that on the Mount of Temptation, Jesus backed him down using the power of the written word of God that created him. Now, in Matthew 4, Jesus passed the temptations. Adam had failed by saying to Satan, It is written. And spoke God's word to counter each temptation. And that's verses 4, 7, and 10. Now, the devil had and still has no defense against the power and the authority of the written word of God. And he goes on, he says, Notice in verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him, and immediately angels came and ministered to him. Jesus has given you his authority and the power of eternity to use his name to bind the devil and his demons' activity in the earth. That's... Excellent. Okay. And and as we go through walking through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we will see that through the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his victory over Satan is our victory over Satan. And the, the body of Christ needs to get this down inside. We all need to, I endeavor to get that down inside me. I, I take it before the Lord and and ask him to help me through revelation, through wisdom, through knowledge, through understanding. Get this deep down in my heart so that everything that I look upon as I walk through this world, because where do our trials and our tribulations come from? They come from this world. When we're in heaven, sitting at the feet of Jesus, there's not going to be trials and tribulation. There's not going to be persecution. It's here in this world. And so we need to know uh, what that victory is and how to stand in it and how to take that victory and, and look upon everything the devil brings at us. Look at it from a position of victory because Jesus Christ already secured that victory and it's ours. And so we need to know. We need to know. He's saying here every time the devil tempted him, The devil said, "It's uh, if you will do this, and then he quoted a scripture, but he would manipulate the scripture, right? And Jesus would come back, and he would say, hey, uh uh-uh, it is written. It is written. It is written. And that's another reason you need to be in the Word of God on a daily basis, reading through the scripture, starting a New Testament if you're young, in the Word. Right? Don't jump over into the Old Testament until you've locked in the New Testament. Get through it a few times so that you know and you understand it. And then you can start putting the Old Testament in there. And it will add depth to what is going on in the New Testament. And so we, uh, glory to God, his victories are victory. Is our victory. And we need to know that we need to realize it. And we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The gift of God through Jesus Christ to us. And he is the action part of the spirit. He's the one that gets it done in the physical. And so let's let's make sure that we are not. Um, oh, glory to God. I do want to say that, Lord. We're not quenching the Holy Spirit. We're not telling him no. We're not restricting him. We're not grieving him by by repetitively being in a particular sin. Um, And and let's give him place in our life to work so that he can work in us and he can work through us. Right. And, And we've got to give him place to do that. So let's move on from there. And now Jesus's ministry is beginning here. Okay. And so we've seen that he's been, uh, he's been baptized in the Jordan. The The Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. John the Baptist has testified about him. We've just gone through his temptation in the wilderness. Right. And now we're moving beyond beyond the Jordan, and we're headed towards Galilee. Now let's go to John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 51. Now it reads again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked. He said, John says, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, And they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, saw them following, and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, Come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And in verse 41, so if you get this, uh, let's put it in context. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother and another disciple of John the Baptist heard John say this about Jesus and they turned and followed Jesus. So these are the first two outside of John the Baptist to meet Jesus as disciples and and to begin following him, which is really neat. Now, it goes on in verse 41, and it says, he first found his own brother, Simon. So this is Andrew. He went and found his brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So Messiah is the Hebrew, Christ is the Greek. Then he brought him to Jesus. So Andrew brings uh, Simon to Jesus. And now when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So in verse 43, the next day, Jesus went to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, as well as the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said concerning him, Here is an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answers him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So what he's saying to Philip or excuse me, Nathanael here is in the spirit. I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree. Now you go on to verse 50. So he just says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. He was amazed with Jesus's answer to him. And he says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are the chosen one, the Messiah, the Christ. Now, in verse 50, Jesus goes on and he says, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig fig tree. Do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God. Ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, on this, glory to God, I went and I used the commentary critical and explanatory on the whole Bible for verse 51, right? And it reads, hereafter, etc. The key to this great saying is Jacob's vision in Genesis 28, verses 12 through 22 to which the illusion is was uh, the illusion plainly is to show the patriarch that though alone and friendless on earth his interests were busying all heaven he was made to see heaven opened and the angels of god ascending and descending upon a mystic ladder reaching from heaven to earth by and by says jesus here you shall see this communication between heaven and earth thrown wide open and the son of man, the real ladder of this intercourse. That's so good. So good. And that was in the, the explanatory, the commentary critical and explanatory on the whole Bible. It'll be in the notes. So when you go to the website, you'll see it. Now let's continue on. We're going to talk about the first miracle. So we've seen the temptation in the wilderness. We've come out of the wilderness and he's headed to Galilee. He picks up some disciples along the way. And now we're going to witness his first miracle. And this is on the third day. Okay, so he's been busy. <laughs> he's not wasting any time here. It just shows you God can work. Um, when you stop and you think about this. All right, and I want you to think about it in your own life, too. Things will seem like they don't happen. They don't happen. They don't happen. And then one will happen. And then two, three, four will happen. And then five, seven, eight, nine, ten will happen. And, And the next thing you know, it's like it happened overnight. But in truth, God was getting everything in place. And it took time to get different things in motion. Right. So that when the time was right, when God's timing was correct. Right. When the due time came. It seemed as though it was um, very sudden, very quick, but in reality, according to God's plan, He's working that plan out for you way before you ever even know the plan exists, and and that's what happened here. I mean, it seemed like these things came together rather quickly in the beginning of Jesus's ministry, but these are things that have been been uh, excuse me been putting in He's been putting in place for a certain amount of time already. Uh, We just don't see the pieces coming together until they do come together. And and it's just amazing. Uh, It's like Abraham and the ram in the thicket, right? That ram was headed to the thicket long before Abraham ever uh, had his son on the altar. So, again... Let's get back here. Uh, John chapter two, verses one through 12. First miracle. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to Jesus, they have no wine. He said to her woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, I have a little note in here and I want to read this and this is from the New Testament Comes Alive, Oral Roberts, Volume 1. And it reads, these are the last recorded words of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She did not tell him what to do. She just said, whatever he says, you do it. Whatever he says. That is a powerful statement. Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. And I like that. I mean, he didn't add a lot of fluff to this. He was very direct. It's to the point. Whatever Jesus says to do, do it. Glory to God. And we can carry that with us when we're reading scripture. Right? So let's go on to verse six. It says six water pots made of stone were sitting there used for ceremonial cleansing by the Jews containing 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that had been turned into wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and after men have drunk freely, then the poor wine is served. But you have kept the good wine until now. Verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples went down to Capernaum, and they remained there a few days. Now, I want to read to you from my personal commentary, King James Bible, uh, Oral Roberts, what he's got to say about this and it's kind of lengthy. So bear with me, but there's some good information in here that I want you to have. Okay. Now he says here, this is Jesus's first miracle. It saved a marriage. It put a new home together. It brought joy when everything was falling apart because they ran out of wine. And that was critical. I mean, the wedding feast wasn't even over. Um, it brought joy and success when everything was falling apart. But when asked, Jesus took a hand and there were three powerful results that helped us, that help us today. First, Jesus brought mankind a new kind of relationship with God, a very personal relationship. He goes on to say the first thing Jesus did in the miracle of turning the water into wine at Cana of Galilee was to give each person a new kind of relationship with God. Let me explain. In the Old Testament, the first miracle Moses performed before Pharaoh was in Egypt, where Israel was in bondage. There Moses turned water into blood, a symbol of destruction and death. The first miracle Our Lord Jesus performed was to turn the same kind of water into wine, a symbol of life, joy, and happiness. The Old Testament, or Old Covenant, ends with a curse. The New Testament, or New Covenant, begins with a birth, a baby child born, a whole new beginning, through the Old Covenant being fulfilled and replaced with a new and better covenant given. The powerful new covenant contains no curse, but the promise of a blessing. Water will be turned into wine. New wine of the Holy Spirit that fills your whole life with Jesus. Second, Jesus Christ brought together, or brought a new type of miracle, excuse me, the miracle of seed faith. The miracle of reproducing what you give to him. Now, from Noah's day, seed time and harvest had been in effect. In the covenant, God later made with Abraham and his seed, the first fruits of each harvest were given back to God as seed to plant and for God to use. And through it to multiply back his blessings. But slowly the people of the old covenant drifted away from the miracle of seed time and harvest. Of first fruits, and the miracles began disappearing from their lives. Only in isolated instances did God find individuals who would give, plant their seed of faith. Now, I want you to see this, okay? Because we're going through this today with the, the body of Christ, right? That's why an awakening, that's why uh, revivals are taking place all over the United States right now. We've gotten complacent, and just like it says here, but slowly the people of the Old Covenant drifted away from the miracle of seed time and harvest, of first fruits, and the miracles began disappearing from their lives. We're reliving that right here and now. Now, through Elijah, God found a widow whose food supply was completely running out. I like, I like this story. This widow, it's awesome. but when she gave the first part to God's prophet, God multiplied the wasting meal and oil of the widow Zarephath. And that's in first King, excuse me, first Kings chapter 17, verses eight through 16. When there was nothing to eat, right? When there was nothing to eat, God sent manna down from heaven for the children of Israel. A miracle out of the blue, we might say. These miracles were very practical and down to earth to save a person's life or extend his life into better things. Now, God did several miracles in the Old Testament times, but miracles were not a regular thing because not enough people seated for them. So not enough people were sowing towards miracles. Glory to God they had become virtually unknown as a regular occurrence when our Lord Jesus Christ came. And that's so true. The Pharisees were so hard set against it. um, And and we'll get into it. But even, even the miracle of Jesus casting the demons out of Mary Magdalene, the, the Pharisees, they struggled with that. They couldn't get it done. And Jesus walks in and boom, it's done. Right? So, They had become virtually unknown as a regular occurrence when our Lord Jesus Christ first came. Now, his first miracle, turning the water into wine, is therefore of great, great meaning to you and me. Notice how he did it. At this marriage in Cana, Jesus asked them to give what they had, water. So there's the seed. He asked them to give out of their need to sow what they had, what they need. They had need of wine for, the, for the, the wedding feast, but what they had was water. So they needed to sow the water. That's the seed that was there. Glory to God. There was no more wine, but Jesus directed the servants to sow water. They did so with all obedience, with all the obedience of which they were capable, and they were rewarded in direct proportion to what they had sown. Glory to God. They poured plain water into the containers. When they poured it out, it had changed into the richest and best wine. All they had to do was what Jesus told them, pour in and pour out, and he would do the rest. This is the miracle of seed faith. It begins with a seed, an act of your giving to God something you have. It takes faith because it goes against all human reasoning. But faith is natural to God. And when we do anything by faith, it becomes the seed of our faith, which pleases God. Another thing to remember is God has a certain way of doing things. When he thinks, when we think his thoughts, do things the way he does and agree with his ways, we go from the natural to the supernatural, just like they did when they obeyed Jesus. uh, Jesus' word to pour in and pour out. The important thing in giving is to give whatever the Lord lays on your heart and give it first. Give it even though it looks foolish. Even though you can't understand how giving something of what you have is going to be multiplied to help meet your great need. Remember the miracle of seed faith says. Give God something to work with. Third, uh, excuse me, give something to God to work with. Now, third, getting wound up here. I am getting excited. I love seed time and faith. Uh, Seed time and harvest It's such a great topic. Now, third, Jesus Christ tells us a miracle really is another one of the works of God. Now, this is very important to us to know, and I'm going to tell you why. Verse 11 says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus. This beginning of miracles The word beginning means Jesus started something which he meant to continue. Today, there's a tremendous theological question which has not been resolved by millions of Christians, and that is, have miracles ceased? Many admit the miracles of 2,000 years ago, but they question. They question. Takes me back to the Old Testament, right? In the wilderness. When Israel said, can he? He'd been doing things all along, and Israel still said, can he? Glory to God. Can miracles still happen today? Is the essential nature of God to perform miracles the same now as it was then in the Old Testament? The answer is yes, because because God never changes. He never changes his nature, right? I am the Lord. I change not, and that's Malachi 3.6. Now, look at this miracle and know that it was only the beginning of miracles, not an end. Notice, however, Jesus called his miracles the works of the Father. And it's John chapter 10, verse 37. What we call miracles, Jesus calls the normal works of his Father. To God, a miracle is the norm, not anything exceptional. Think of God's works. As a continuous stream of His love flowing toward us, daily, in which we can enter by acts of our faith. That is so good. Glory to God. No, they have not ceased. We have drifted away from from what God set in place: seed time and harvest. We have. And the devil's been so keen on tricking us into believing that that uh, when somebody speaks about giving, it's just because they want something from you when in truth, what they know, and I'm speaking to those who are honest who are are honoring God, right? i'm I'm not saying there's not deceptive people out there. There is, okay, But there are more men and women who serve God, who honor God, right? And so they're saying, look, you need to sow to God so that he can get you that harvest that you need, right? So here he's using the example of sowing uh, what they had in order to get what they needed. Right, And there's so many examples of that. The widow with the oil. What she had was a little bit of oil. What she needed was sustenance. She needed to be sustained. She needed uh, prosperity. Glory to God. And, and then the woman with the, the cake. Same thing. She had meals. She had a little bit of oil. But it was going to be their last meal. Right. These are both Old Testament stories. But they speak to seed time and harvest. And the prophets that God sent to these people, they said to them, before you partake of it, let me have it. And so they did. They sowed what they had into God in order that God could give them a harvest of what it was that they needed. This never stopped. It is still here today. Look, until Jesus Christ's second coming, until he that is perfect comes again, seed time and harvest will continue. And so we need to we need to pay attention to that. So what happened in the Old Testament was they drifted away from seed time and harvest. They drifted away from first fruits, right? And so as we drift away as a nation from tithing, from giving, from sowing, as we drift away from God, okay, so we've drifted away from seed time and harvest, and the miracles have, I'm not going to say they've ceased, but they've slowed down so great that now we say, hmm, can he? We know he did at one time, but can he? And we are just as Israel in the desert, after God had given him manna, he'd given them water, he'd given him quail. Uh, their clothes did not wear out. Right. He'd done all these things for them. And yet they still turn and say, can he? All right. And we don't want to be a nation. That says, can he? We want to be a nation that says, yes, he can and he will. Glory to God. Become convicted and convinced of that. God is still moving. He's still powerful. He is still omnipotent, omniscient. Glory to God. His power resides in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And we need to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit and quit relying on what the flesh tells us or what the mind tells us. Because they're going to lie to us. And they're going to deceive us. Glory to God. And we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now. The first cleansing of the temple. Right. And, and this will be the, the close. <laughs> I know it's a little longer. I'm trying to get these down to about 30 minutes. Um, I'll be honest with you. I've missed the ministry shorts. I've enjoyed those, but with everything that's going on, I've kind of backed off of those a little bit until the revival is finished. But if I can find a way to break these episodes down into into, uh, two 30-minute portions, that's my goal because I just, I do. I enjoy doing these. It brings me joy. I'm learning right alongside you. As I research and study and, and resource this stuff, Um, the Lord's teaching me, right? He's pointing things out to me that I haven't seen before, or maybe I've only seen partially and, and he's blessing me and I I just so enjoy this. And so in the near future, it may go down to to two 30 minute, um, programs, which will be a lot of fun. And so if, if an hour program is hard for you, then what I suggest, just listen to part of it and then come back and finish it up another day or whatever. Um, I do that sometimes with ministers that I listen to. Uh, Keith Moore is a great example. His sermons are typically just over an hour. Um, My Father in the Faith, his are typically just over an hour. And so I can listen to part of it and come back and listen to the rest of it another time. So let's get in. To the closing. Okay, I said all that to say, hey, we're closing. So the first cleansing of the temple, and I really enjoy this. This is in John chapter 2, we're in verse 13 through 22. And it reads, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in the temple, he found those who are selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers sitting there. Now he's talking in the temple, but in the temple courtyard. It's not in the Holy of Holies. So when Jesus, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the changers' money and he overturned the tables. He said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. He's saying to them, do not dishonor my father's house. And, and he's, 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 so what's he doing? Right. We might say, okay, Jesus got mad and he lost his temper. I'm just going to interject this here real quick. Jesus looked upon dishonor. Now, it's one thing to look upon dishonor outside of the temple, but the temple is holy. doesn't even matter if it's just a temple courtyard. You come inside the temple. It's holy ground. And to bring dishonor Inside this holy establishment was a great sin. And so what did Jesus do? He drove sin out of the temple. He drove dishonor out of the temple. Yeah, it may have taken the form of money changers and people selling doves and oxen and sheep, right? Um, But he drove that out. You know, he drove out the men who were profiting off of others giving. And it was such a dishonor. And so we need to remember that. OK, and, and we'll cover that here in just a second. But that's what we see when Jesus because you might if you don't stop and think about it, if, if you're not taught on this, you might mistakenly believe that Jesus did sin. Because he got mad and he acted on his anger. But that's not true. What Jesus did was he had reverence for God the Father, his father. He honored him and he came inside a holy place and found men dishonoring on holy ground, sinning on holy ground, uh, profiting off of others on holy ground, And he drove that sin, he drove that presence of the devil in the holy temple out. That's what he did. It wasn't an act of anger. It was an act of cleansing. And that's why they call it cleansing the temple. All right. Now, in verse 17, it goes on and it says, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews said to him, to Jesus, What sign do you show us? What miracle do you show us, seeing that you do these things? Who are you to come in here and disrupt our profiteering? Who are you to come in here and disrupt our position, our authority? Glory to God. Can you just see it? I mean, here's the Messiah. His Father is Father God. Here is the Messiah standing before the very men who were the teachers of the scriptures who should have, by all means, recognized Jesus and his authority. But they did not. Instead, what did they do? They're so hard-hearted, they're so blinded to Jesus that they come to him and they say, by what miracle, by what sign, by what authority do you do this? In our temple. You know, to them, it's not even God's temple. It's only God's temple when it benefits them. Glory to God. Now, I want you to see this. That was verse 18, verse 19. Jesus answers them. And he says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days? So they were incredulous. They're not accepting his testimony, right? They're not registering because why did they not register? Well, they're blinded. They're hard-hearted. Offense has gotten into them. Pride and vanity and ego has gotten into them. Greed has gotten into them. Glory to God and the last thing that they have room for is God. Okay, and and there's a note right there. Let me hit this real quick. Thank you Lord for showing me this. If you're putting everything in, okay? Now let's picture a glass, right? I've got a I've got a glass of water right here. Now, if I put sand in this halfway full, And then I go and I put eh, medium sized rocks and then I try to put some big rocks in there. It doesn't work out. And the sand is the little bitty things of everyday life. You know, And the medium rocks, that's what the world throws at us, what we need to do. Uh, You know, bills, kids, whatever. And, And the big rocks, that's God. That's what he needs done first. Right. But if we're putting him last, there's no room in the glass for it. But if you put the big rocks first, seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you put that in there first, and then you put in your spouse. These are the medium rocks, your spouse, your family, your kids, right? Put those in there. And the the things that you need to make sure that are covered uh, to care for that family. And then you put the smaller things in life which are those things that are outside your family, right? If you do it in that order, you get so much more in your glass, right? Why? Because the medium rocks and the sand can fill in around the big rocks. But if you're putting sand in first, then you have very, very little room for the medium rocks and you have very, very little room for the big rocks. And if you don't have room for God in your life, You're going to experience divorce. I'm not saying everybody. Okay. But you're going to experience a higher rate of divorce. You're going to experience a higher rate of alcoholism, alcoholism, Glory to God, uh, drug addiction, greed, all of these things. You're going to experience more of it because you are out of vertical alignment. Your vertical alignment is God. God's at the top. Okay, and the things of God. And then your spouse. Don't put your spouse after your kids. Put your spouse before your kids. And there's a reason for that. Okay, God gave you that spouse. And you read in scriptures and I'm not going to quote you the scripture right now. I'm just going to tell you, God says, look, when man and woman comes together, they're one. Okay, he didn't say when man, woman and children come together, they're one. No, he said when man and woman comes together, they're one. Okay, spouse becomes under God and the things of God and then your children, your children are yours to steward. They're going to grow. And once they are grown, they're going to leave. Right now, if you have put your children before your husband or before your wife and they are more important or you have given them higher priority, What happens is after 20, 25, 30 years, when your kids leave, all your kids, maybe your last kid, maybe it's, you know, 30, 30 years, depending on how far apart you have your kids, you find that you have spent 30 years devoted to your children, and now they're gone. And now it's just you and your spouse. And that 30 years of being absent from your spouse, 30 years of not putting your spouse first, leads to an extremely high divorce rate because you just don't know who each other is, and maybe you've gotten comfortable in who you are with your kids, and now you just don't have the energy or the patience to become comfortable again with your spouse. And so we end up with divorce. And so that's one of the key reasons you don't want to put your kids before your spouse. The other thing is you want your kids to see that a healthy marriage is between a man and a woman. One man, one woman, no adultery. It's not between a man and his kids. It's not between a a woman and her kids. It's between... Man and woman, they come together in God's eyes as one, right? And so that they can have that healthy relationship. They watch you how you treat your wife growing up. Growing up, they watch you how you treat your husband. And that's how they're going to behave with theirs. Or they're going to get in a ditch on the other side of the road. That happens too. But you want your vertical alignment right. So God first. And the things of God, then your spouse, then your children, then your family. All right. And and it's important, too, because God has made you the steward over your children, not your family. Your family is not the steward over your children. You are. And so that's important. So you want to get that. And it goes on down from there. So that's what I'm talking about. Big rocks, medium rocks, sand. Okay, Now. I don't know why all that came up, but it did. Glory to God. Um, So the last verse, verse 20, then the Jews said it had taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? In verse 21, but he, Jesus, was speaking concerning the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now I want you to understand here the disciples they had access to the same scriptures and they heard the same words spoken by Jesus and yet they came to a completely different understanding of the situation than the Pharisees did why because again the offense and all of that had gotten in there and blinded the Pharisees and I want to leave you with this honor God honor God In the things of God, and he will honor you. And it's 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, and I'll read it to you. It says, therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I surely said that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me to do so. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be humbled. You want to honor God. You don't want to be caught in a second crowd and be humble because when he humbles you, you're not going to enjoy it. You really aren't. And so I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Uh, and, And glory to God. It's good. Vertical alignment. Get it in you. Know it. Go back and study the example of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness how the devil took scripture. He knows scripture and he took scripture and he tried to use it. Look and see how Jesus handled the devil. He knew scripture. He said it was written. It is written. Glory to God. That's so good. Right? The temptation. Then we see Jesus picks up a couple of disciples. He goes on into the temple. He cleanses the dishonor from the temple. He boots the sin out the door of the temple. It's a good thing. Glory to God. So I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Um, I know I have. These are a lot of fun to put together. and, And walking through with Jesus this way is just a different way for me to present things to you. It gives us a little bit of a timeline to go according to, right? And I can show you the nuances of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the scriptures. So, you know, because they do say a lot of the same things, but they'll add little things here and there. And I get to add that in and show you and point out. And so uh, we'll see quite a bit of that. I want you to know and understand that the power of God is still present. That God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they're still here. Right? Jesus did die for us. He sealed that covenant between man and God with his own blood. And I, I do recommend, I've recommended this before. Go and, and uh, pick up some books on the blood covenant. E.W. Kenyon has great books. Uh, Kenneth Copeland's got one. Billy Brim has one. I'm sure there's others out there by other authors. We're gonna learn about the covenant. I was just speaking to this uh, to a group the other day about this. In that, and I'll give you a real quick rundown on blood covenants. Look, why are they so vital? Because two tribes would come together, right? And one tribe would be strong in A, B, and C. The other tribe would be strong in D, E, F. Okay. And they would come together and they'd make covenant so that the strength of the first tribe covered the weakness of the second tribe. And the strength of the second tribe covered the weakness of the first tribe so that together they were strong. Right? And this is what Jesus did with the blood covenant. He came in. He brought his strengths. And he came alongside us in covenant. Glory to God. And he covers our weaknesses. Praise Jesus. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. Look, God said, look, I lay before you blessing and cursing. I lay before you life and death. I would that you would choose life. Praise you, Jesus. Choose life. It is never too late to to, to open the Word of God and start growing and start learning. Don't, don't just receive new birth and, and call it good, okay? Don't do that. Don't shortchange yourself. He has a bank account in heaven, just to put it that way, okay? He has an account in heaven with your name on it, and it's got good things laid up for you, Right? Some things that are attributed to you because of what you did. Most of it is attributed to you because of what Jesus did. And so don't short sell yourself. Get into the word of God and learn so that you can go and you can access that account through the authority of Jesus's name. And you can walk this world and you can do God's works because Everything you need is right there for you to do it. Praise you, Jesus. This world needs you and the love of God in your heart. He needs the good news of the gospel spread from corner to corner all over this earth. And uh, it's up to us to do it. So again, excited for this series. Thank you for joining me today. And uh, I just say, God bless you, and may he put a hedge of protection around you and open you up to the world of Christ. Glory to God. Thank you again. Bye-bye.